Hello and welcome to this foundation episode of the Pepper Podcast. The Pepper Podcast is a sporting podcast with a focus on the game of Eaton Fives. So welcome to the uh, What is Eaton Fives episode. Uh, as the research and development assistant, I have learned this all in theory, um, but we've got Emily uh, to explain in practice and from a very experienced Fives player exactly what the sport is like. Yeah, looking forward to delving into my favorite sport. Favorite sport? Brilliant. We'll come into, into what other sports might be on that list another time. But in terms of number one, let's, let's explain Eden Fives. So to a complete newbie, can you explain what is Eden Fives in a nutshell? Yeah. yeah, this is going to be quite hard. So it's quite an interesting feat to try and explain this in a podcast. So if you do have the opportunity to have a Google so that you can see the court, then I would recommend that you do so. But as a quick sort of overview synopsis, Eaton Fives is a doubles game um, where players take it in turns to hit a quite small hard ball against a wall with gloved hands. The game is similar to squash or one wall handball, except the court has three sides and it has a variety of sort of hazards edges and ledges and a buttress which sticks out and a step which provides sort of variety and a bit of randomness in the game. There's so many questions to come out of that. So as, as someone who's come into um, into fives knowing about squash, about uh, some other court sports, but not having played or seen anything with hazards. So if you could explain what is a hazard? What, um, you know, what is the buttress? So there's a few different hazards on the court. So the first one and the main one, sometimes called the king of hazards, is the buttress, which is on the left hand wall. There's sort of a bit of stone which juts out into the court. And it's kind of a funny shape. And that's based off where the origin of the court comes from. And it has a little hole in the bottom of it. Uh, which is called the pepper pot in some cases, which is why this is called the pepper pot cast. Hey, hey, you see what? Hey, dropped it in. Which can be used as sort of something that you can use to hit around, use as part of your attacking play. Also on the court, there is a step. So the court is kind of split in half with a front court and a back court. Then there's various also ledges around the different parts of the court. So on the front wall there's a, a ledge so similar to squash which you have to hit above in order to have played a valid shot or a legal shot but there's also ledges on all of the other sides which if the ball hits sometimes can mean that the ball bounces and flies out or it goes off in a different direction so sometimes it can work for you or against you and the last kind of piece are these things called the back bricks which Although it's a three-sided court, there's a little bit on that back wall, which um, kind of juts out a little bit, which again, you can use and the ball can hit and it goes off in a different direction. So yeah, all these hazards are definitely things that you can play around, use for your advantage, or sometimes can work against you. Yeah, yeah no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it, it does make games like squash seem quite simple. You know, hit the ball against the front wall above the line. Um, but in Eaton Fives, you've got to hit the ball it's got to touch the front wall and it's got to be above a, a hazard. And you've also got to deal with a, a step halfway, you know, almost like a, um, to try and paint a picture in it's relative to me, like a, a Northern and Southern hemisphere kind of, uh, kind of split rather than a, 
you know, vertical down the middle. We've got a horizontal line managing not to trip over that whilst having a, a, whole, a wall jutting out, I don't know, I think it's about a meter out the, the left-hand wall. The unpredictability of the game just sounds, it sounds like the most exciting, exciting part of it from, from an, you know, an outsider coming in. I, I have, you know, I've, I've dabbled, I've played a little bit. But in terms of the, the hazards, it's, it creates this unpredictability that is just so fun to try and manage. I think this leads quite well into the origins of the game, which it was a bit of a, a playground, a playground game invented by students, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So the court was derived from the original court at Eton College. So when the boys were waiting to go into chapel, they actually got bored. And in the sort of space in between the flying buttresses on the chapel, I'm an engineer, so I know what <laughs> it's called. <laughs> and, and if anyone Googles, Googles that, you, you will know exactly what it is. So please don't, don't make us paint that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yes, when they were lining up, there were these kind of alcoves or the little spaces between the flying buttresses where they used to kind of just hit a ball around and play. And I mean, the, the idea of hitting a ball against the wall is universal and is, exists everywhere and there's loads of different kind of variations. But one of the things about Eden Fives is because it was started on the side of this chapel where the staircase was also coming down and the handle of said staircase was part of that one of the alcoves it became one of the sort of hazards and parts of the games that got adopted into the modern game and as you were saying it's part of what adds to that unpredictability and huge amount of fun like there's been many a game where one for one one reason or the other the a ledge or the buttress has made the ball do something completely random something that i've never seen before even after sort of 11 12 years of playing and Actually, even if it means that you lose the point, sometimes you're just like, that was so hilarious and so funny and so unanticipated that, you know, kudos to whoever hit that shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely think that the, you know, the origins of the game, the, the traditions that are kept within it, uh, as in all players on court, so both, both pairs that are competing against each other kind of collaborate in the enjoyment that they get from the unpredictability you know you're getting out of each other's way you're trying to get the the most exciting rally possible and I've, i mean personally i've seen people get caught up in almost wanting the rally to continue and not going for that that almost like a kill shot that they could really go for and just thinking this is great i'm going to keep this going and i think that that really makes the game something that is is so exciting to watch um because you know, it's so impressive when that ball just shoots off of a hazard and someone manages to save it. And you almost think, you know, the other three players on court are busy, like half torn between just watching this amazing play happen and then actually just continuing with the rally. It, it is something special. You know, it's, yeah. it's not just three flat walls and, and a line to hit a ball over, um, you know, no shots fired at squash, but, you know, it's, it's different. It's, it, it's brilliant. Okay, so so with all of that, tell me, how does a typical rally work from start to start to finish? So the rally kind of starts with the service. So first player is standing sort on the front step, sort of centrally on that front step, and they throw the ball, otherwise called the serve, up so that it hits the front wall, sort of right corner, and then the right wall, and then down, and it must hit the bottom step. 
And this is kind of a free shot. So the player from the other team can then choose whether or not they want to hit it. So if it's bounced funnily or you know it's not high enough, the cutter, so the person from the other team, is able to just kind of give it back and say, serve again, which is something that you don't see in most sports. And the player from the opposite team gets to hit a shot called the cut. And essentially with that, what they do is they hit the ball so that it hits the right wall, then the front wall, and goes back into kind of the buttressy kind of area. So this is where having a picture of the fives courts would be very helpful right now. <laughs> um, and then the person who was serving, who typically gets the, the cut, will then try and return that shot. And if they do return that shot and it hits above the sort of le ledge that means it's in play, then the rally kind of starts. The ball then can bounce on any of the walls, but it must always only bounce once on the floor to be still in play. Just to jump in there, um, it can only bounce once off the floor, but it can bounce off of the walls without counting as a, as a bounce? Or? Correct. So as long as it, it can only hit the floor once. So for example, sometimes it can hit the buttress, the top of the buttress, a ledge, and it still hasn't bounced on the floor. And so you, it would still count as a, a volley in that case. Um, or it could hit the side walls first, um, and that doesn't count as a bounce, only when it's on the floor. Either of each team can hit the ball. So let's say one team's wearing red and one team's wearing blue. It must be the blue team hit the ball and then the red team hit the ball, but either of the players on that team can do so. Typically what happens is one person from each team kind of looks after the front of the court and one person from each team looks after the back of the court. Depending on how it goes, if you win the rally, then you win a point if you were serving. If you don't win the rally and you were serving, you then switch with your partner and you get a kind of second serve or a second hand, as we call it. And they throw it up. And if, if they win, then they win a point. If they don't win, then it's the other team's go to use two hands to score as many points as possible. Yeah, I, I mean... I think I think that explains it really well. It, it can sound quite complicated, but it's essentially a you know a rotational system in terms of the serving team score. And uh, you know if, if they lose a point, they rotate once. Then it's the other team's turn turn to to score. It, it's more simple when you're on court. This is what mm -hmm. I've realised um, is that when you're actually playing these seemingly complicated rules just fall into place pretty pretty easily and fortunately you are refereed by your partner and by your opposition so if you're in the wrong place you'll be told and you won't uh there's no pressure to to just get in the right place or you get or you lose points so i think that's also you know for someone joining the sport you don't have to know everything uh, immediately to to get started which yeah, is that was cheap. a very sort of quick overview of, uh, of how sport, sports runs. And um, the only other thing to add is that, you know, there are bits of the court that are out and, uh, and the likes. So you can hit the ball out. Me being a smashy, smashy player, <laughs> <laughs> definitely have that issue sometimes. But, um, you know, essentially it's relatively simple. With the traditions of the game, there's, there's no referee. You know, you, you've got four people on court, but you don't, you know, they've got the best view of the game. How, how does that work in practice? Yeah, so that's a really interesting feature of this game, as you say, is that there is no ref and all decisions on the court are decided between those four players that are playing. So fives is definitely a very, you know, polite sport. 
that um, the principle that it's built on is fair play. So if you're in the way of someone hitting their shot, you offer them a let. If you accidentally hit the ball when you either it is your shot and you hit it twice, for example, or if it's the other player's shot and it, the ball accidentally brushes you, again, you'll kind of be very um, honest and admit that that's, that's happened. And in some of the cases where you know, people aren't sure what's happened on court, like did the ball go down or up, you as a quartet have to decide the outcome of that point. So if all of you are unsure, you will decide, you should decide as a, as a quartet that you should just replay the point. Um, or if someone thinks that they got it up and the other players disagree, then usually there's a kind of conversation between the four and either they make a decision that one team win or lose the rally, or again, that you replay the point. And typically the sort of outcome is that you replay the point. Um, but it's actually a really nice thing, which really promotes sort of integrity, honesty, fair play within the community and, you know, while you're playing the sport itself. Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely a part of the game that I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by. Um, coming from a, a rugby background uh, and a water polo background, uh, I mean, two of the dirtiest sports I've played or, or ever seen really? um, firsthand, definitely uh, in water polo. It's if it happens underwater and the ref doesn't see it, it's perfectly legal. Um, so plenty of punching, kicking, biting, scratching. Um, and then to, to play rugby where uh, playing a, as a front row forward, playing playing prop in, in rugby, our, our work in that front row is often referred to as the dark arts because it's it's all about concealing your, your cheating, your, you know, to, to be blunt about it. It is trying to one-up your opponent without the ref seeing. And people, you know, the scrum has changed so many times because of the ways that players have managed to deceive the referee. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, the scrum would be a, a lot safer and a lot more manageable if players the front in the front row, for example, were taught to monitor that themselves and not constantly try to get <laughs> play a game of one-upmanship with their, with their opposite number. And that's, it's fascinating that a sport from beginners all the way through to the, the top, top players playing in tournaments, competitions with something on the line still manage to successfully self-officiate uh, self the sport. It's what happens when tradition isn't, isn't lost in that way. And that there's, there's just a culture of, of sportsmanship, which is, you know, fantastic. And it's just building upon your point. It is really a great to help to train those skills, not only in sport, but also in life, because it is a game where if you want to, you can very easily scoop the ball rather than hit it. So you carry it a little bit and then throw it. But there's definitely a mentality of you want to be, you want to act how you wish your opposition will act to you as well. So if they've got in your way, you hope that they would offer you a let. And so you do the same. And it just kind of is a positive um, accumulation or a positive reinforcement of all the players. And there's obviously great points where there's heated discussions or um, points where people disagree, but across the board, you know, everyone plays hoping that, you know, you play as you expect other people to play against you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people, people care about the results. So emotions are bound to get high and you're going to make every effort you can. And if you come up short and no one calls you out on it, there's always that temptation to, you know, not admit to a scoop, but you will always know. And I think that's the main thing. Meanwhile, in other sports, if the ref doesn't call it, well, it's legal and your conscience is clear. 
Mm. That's not quite the same here. And that's, uh, it's integral to it. And it's, it's a very exciting part of the game. And, you know, there's a play to the whistle mentality versus a, well, I'm well aware that I, <laughs> I didn't play by the rules there. So, you know, what? I'll, I'll just admit to that. And um, yeah, it's a very exciting, very exciting sport in, in the way that all these hazards make it unpredictable, but the four players on court are almost fascinated by, by all that's going on and, and they're in control of the game. You mentioned scooping as, as in kind of carrying the ball and that, that's an illegal shot, but what other types of shot are there within, within the game? Yeah, so there's a whole mix of kind of shots that you can play. So similar to tennis, there's, um, you know, volleys that you can play. So where you hit the ball off the wall and it hasn't bounced. Slice shots or spin shots or just hit it as hard as you can shots. Which <laughs> are definitely a legal and uh, official uh, type of shot. Yeah, and, uh, and your favourite shot? Just uh, seeing as though we're trying to give away all your secrets across <laughs> the... Uh, across this podcast oh it's it's a hard one and considering i wrote that question i should probably have come <laughs> to answers this is scripted what <laughs> um no so there's a few i love to volley i'm on the front court so i'm a big volleyer i like jumping around trying to hit the ball as hard at the bottom of that buttress as possible um or into that little hole the pepper pot uh, that I was explaining earlier. Love, that's always the most satisfying is hitting a volley at that point. Um, at the back of the court, you know, I just like hitting it pretty hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely I would say I'm a volleyer. That's my favourite shot. With the, my right hand and not my left hand. <laughs> so you're one of those players that, that love the, the physicality of the game as in you love to hit the ball hard. Uh, and you know obviously with accuracy but when the opportunity comes you, you smash it uh yes <laughs> to put it honestly I do like to hit the ball quite hard it's always been one of my favorite things that you come on court and people have some preconceptions about how you might play and then they come off court and say wow you have a lot of power in those <laughs> and I'm like yep <laughs> it's always a very satisfying feeling but being able to hit the ball hard in this game is not everything. Being able to place it can provide just as much potential in a game or in a rally. So I've had to definitely tailor that so that I'm not always just hitting it hard. I try and vary my shots throughout the rally. But yeah, when the right volley comes along, you know, and you get that perfect length, but also that perfect pace that it makes it very difficult for your opposition to react, then it's very satisfying. Yeah, no, no doubt, and and I think um, just kind of the the mechanics of it all, if I, if that makes sense, is that the ball's quite small, but you're using a hand to hit it, so it's not quite the ratio of like tennis ball to to racket, and definitely not like squash ball to squash racket. You know, you've got a very small surface area hitting this ball, and if you you absolutely go for it, but the ball hits your your baby finger, it's not going to carry the kind of power you're hoping for. So placement. On your palm as well as placement of where you want the ball to go is just it's just so important and that's mm -hmm. something obviously well i assume has developed over time otherwise i'm a very slow learner and uh it's it's just really impressive to watch because the speed that that ball comes out at it, it's incredibly fast and you've got a small ball hitting a small surface area both left and right hand which is quite unique you know you don't 
you don't have a backhand option like you do in tennis and squash. You have to maneuver your entire body around the ball in order to get a shot off, um, which is, again, incredibly, incredibly athletic. And, uh, and maybe, you know, this, this side of the sport doesn't get enough kudos because really that is, that is unique. Backhanding a fives ball. I don't know if you have, I mean, have you seen anyone try it or do it naturally because they've come from the tennis court or? Um, yeah. So it's worth noting at this point. So you do play with, with gloves for those that are listening. Um, and the front half of the glove and around your fingers is kind of a leather um, piece. And the, the front of your gloves is a little bit padded. Um, whereas the back, there is just a kind of mesh. And so it's technically a legal, a legal shot to hit it with, the back of your hand but it's gonna hurt quite a lot i know a few people who return the cut where they spin around and they will be sort of having their back against or back facing the front wall and rather than kind of twisting their hands around they kind of flick the ball off the top of their the backs of their fingers um so i've seen that happen but typically you don't see very many people trying to hit with a backhand you usually move yourself so that you're hitting with in the front of your hands. Any of those sound like quite quite impressive options. If anyone, when you do Google a sport, if it is new to you, or just if, if it is something that you play regularly, to return a cut with the back of your hand, um, yeah, good luck, <laughs> really. <laughs> and non, no padding and I don't know how many kilometers an hour, you know, let's put a number on it, 120 with some people, I'm sure. You know, prove me wrong. We haven't done that data collection yet, and <laughs> it'll be quite an interesting test to do is to see if we can record how fast a cut is. I, I think Seb's done it, so we Seb's can, done it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he has. So we should just ask him. He'll he'll know. So, so Seb is uh, one of the top players in the country. Yeah. So okay, when he comes on as a guest, we might have to question him on what speed his cut was, and then I kind of want to see if I can beat it. <laughs> I mean, we can add that to surely some kind of list of records. Mm. Um, you know, have a have a have a record board, fastest cut uh, in a match or fastest cut recorded. Sounds sounds like the start of of a lot of competition um, between between players. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I'm not necessarily the most placement based player, as we've kind of discussed. Is that I do like the power, and um, so I think I you know. I'd quite like to see how up there I am with my cut. Harriet Asquith, another player, would also be a good person to see. She's also got a pretty hard cut on her. And then there are definitely some male players who also have some pretty hard cuts on them. I won't ask for names, but are there any players that you think they will absolutely destroy a cut speed competition, but in, in a match, in a game, it would never you know, they're all power and nothing else. Is that quite common? Or do players generally have to balance that out? I think it's a it's a balance. So when you're playing, if you don't put variety into your cuts, it can be very easy for the person returning them to adapt to your style. So if you're only hitting it really hard, sometimes that's easier to return than a ball that's spinning and put in the right place. Obviously, you can get a certain way with hitting it really hard because People get a bit freaked out, um, especially when they're new. But once you get into a rhythm, sometimes the faster ball is easier. 
Um, so for example, I've definitely been in matches where someone has cut against me, I've started to get their cuts back. So, so and they just try and make it faster and faster and faster. And actually for me, being someone that really likes that and really dislikes more spinny types of cuts, actually that really worked in my favor. And you don't actually have to do a little bit less because you just let your hand hit the ball. And because it has so much power on it, you kind of just let it bounce back and it's up and you're in the, in the rally. Whereas um, if it's, you know, spinning towards you, you have to think a little bit harder about where you're moving to in order to get that shot, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, brilliant, brilliant point there. And I think, you know, drawing, drawing in on another sport that I know fives is very closely tied to, it's like a, a fast bowler in, 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 in cricket. If they just continue to bowl that fast ball straight down the line, uh, a batsman only has to keep their bat in the way. And it doesn't matter how fast it's going, it's, it's going to be returned, it's going to be played. So if you're just following the line of the ball and hitting it along the same angle that it's coming from, you will return the ball. But if that ball deviates, um, then, then you know, it becomes a little bit unpredictable. And I know um, that that cut has a lot to do with changing your hand position and trying to get some spin on the ball, trying to just change what your opponent is used to. Because... The, your opposition serves you the ball and basically gives you the best opportunity to smash it back at them. But if all you do is hit it back as hard as you can on the same line, the rally is going to continue. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in, in a perfect world for the cutter, they would just sink it in dead man's hole every time without you even, even having a chance. Yeah, definitely. It's, that's completely how it goes in this, in this sport. Variety is the, the spice of life, as they say, but also in fives. Um, because it becomes very easy to adapt to certain people's shots if they were only ever play the same thing. Absolutely. And so important from anyone kind of coming into the sport to, to realize that although the pace of the ball is fast, it's not the only thing. I, I know the cut can be quite an intimidating thing for, for anyone and, you know, for people playing, playing long time um, still, but you know, when you get your eye in, it's, it's, it's part of the game and it's, it's actually, it's, it's more about placement than it is about, you know, raw power, which is why this game just lends itself to being a well-rounded athletic sport, because it's not all about, um, you know, okay. South African in me coming in out again, as you see Kevin Anderson uh, on the tennis circuit, who serves incredibly fast and un unbelievable. And, you know, but if anyone can return his serve consistently, there, then you've got a game on your hands. But if you can't return a serve at how you know 140 kilometers an hour, it's it's a struggle. And mm. um, so the top players, you know, won't just rely on that speed. And that's you know that's fascinating and and just a really really important point to make in the game. That's kind of brought us into you know what other skills uh, what other skills do you need. So general hand eye coordination is is useful. Um, but actually to start off in the game, as long as you just want to try it and you, you know, have a little bit of fire in your belly to kind of give it a go, that's really all that you need. Um, a lot of the skills you can gain while you play. Uh, but one of the big skills is hand-eye coordination. So you do have to hit the ball with, with both hands. And typically in the game, you have one stronger hand and one weaker hand. But then you look at the sort of top players who have got to the stage where they're nearly ambidextrous in the sport which is insane. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely a right-handed player. 
So that's a that's a sort of key ability. So being able to watch the ball onto your hand, hit it back, uh, watch the ball round as either your partner or the opposition are playing it, and being able to read their body language in order to work out what shot might be coming towards you next, so that you have even more time to anticipate and decide what you're going to do to react to that. Yeah, uh, and anticipation is so important. You know, learning. Uh, learning the court, learning body body positions, and learning you know to what to watch your opposition and, and where they're going to hit the ball. That's so important um, because reactions aren't going to get you far enough if you if the ball moves is moving so quickly. So this can really teach you to get your eye in and you know take into all the different variables into account. You know where is that person hitting it? Is it going to hit a ledge? Where do I need to be? You know, there's so much more to it than again a, a one one wall with a with a straight rebound and, and right angles only or you know whatever it's going to be so yeah as you say hand-eye coordination um focusing wow i mean keeping your eye on that on that ball uh th- throughout a game and so what's the shortest the game can last and what's the longest you've seen a game last i know there can be quite a difference yeah so good question the Length of a game kind of depends on the relative difference between the two pairs. So if you have two pairs that are very similar skill length, then it's probably going to be lasting longer than if there's a big discrepancy between the two the two pairs. So games are played up to 12. There are a few different like weird rules at various points, but we probably won't get into that detail. But typically the game finishes at when you get to 12 and then... Um, depending on what level you're playing at, you might play one game or you might play best of five, for example. So the top finals are played best of five. But, um, you know, some games I've seen have lasted a little bit quicker, maybe 15 minutes for a one set game. But then at the same time, I've seen five setters go, you know, four to five hours. Wow. <laughs> My longest game was three and a half hours, I think. I might check that because it was it was on the website because it was a really really long game. <laughs> yeah, that that's the kind of thing we put a record up with um, next to the the fastest cut. We can have the longest game, longest rally. So actually, I those were for sort of official games. However, yeah. it's worth noting that the longest game in the world record books, where they didn't play competitively, was actually I think over forty eight hours by some school students at Uppingham School and they did a sort of fives marathon for charity which lasted over 48 hours where every hour they got five minutes off but essentially they just played and it's bananas I don't know how they did it that that's amazing and you know I, I know Guinness Book of Records kind of shut down those kind of endurance competitions and they don't they don't really accept that kind of thing anymore um because people really do put themselves through a lot and 48 hours of concentrating i mean my eyes would be absolutely fried trying to keep track of a a ball that small at that speed even if they're just tapping against the wall for that long Mm. i think that is that's a testament to to the amount of concentration i bet those those kids that were doing that have exceptional study skills and being able to you know actually just dig in and focus for a long time um, although maybe that's a bit of a boring comparison. They're probably like, no, we're in the Guinness Book of Records. Don't talk about <laughs> our, study, our study skills. <laughs> it's the teacher in me when I when I used to teach. I'm, I'm interested. 
yeah that's that's amazing so 15 minutes up until over over four hours so there's there's obviously a big contrast there obviously uh, if the pairs are more equally matched then the game will of course go on go on for a bit longer because it is it is first first to 12 um so is, explain that a little bit more do you have to win by you know do you have to be up by two points or can you reach 12 all how does it work uh, I mean, we don't have to get into too much detail, but just a bit of insight into into that. If there's a relative um, point for everyone, yeah. So one of the reasons it can take so long is you can only score points when you're the serving team. So that means you know you can win a lot of rallies, but still not win a lot of points, and that can go round and round and round. Then you don't have to have won by a certain amount of points. So if you're on eleven all and someone gets to twelve, then they win. Going going back to the the time that can take uh, four hours sounds like uh, you have to be pretty fit to to do that. So for someone joining fives, like how how fit do you need to be? I think if you're just starting off, you can be at whatever fitness that you are on that day. It's one of those games where you can play, and you know the court is relatively small, um, so it's not like you're running a marathon the first game that you play. So it sort of doesn't matter what fitness you are when you start. It's one of it's a game that is very good at helping you to build fitness. So it's kind of little short sprints, a little bit like squash. But obviously, as you get further in the game and start to like play at a higher level, fitness does help. I do caveat that is that there are some players who don't move around the court so much um, for whatever reason, not necessarily due to their fitness or any reason, but are still able to play a really good game because they are just able to hit the ball in a way that is played so well that, you know, the other player who's running around like a headless chicken is giving them back the shots and uh, they're able to control the rally by being able to place it really well. But at the top level of the game, fitness obviously does play a role. It helps you to stay in those longer matches, stay focused for longer, make less mistakes as you're not getting as tired. So it, there's really a whole range and uh, you can get away with whatever fitness level, but I would not be put off trying the sport if you don't think your fitness level is high enough because you can be whatever fitness level to start. Yeah, I, I think that's such an appealing part of it. And I think, again, that almost lends itself to the fact that it's not all based on speed and power. Um, because, so again, I'm going to bring in my, my background, uh, playing water polo in, in South Africa, we... <laughs> I, I don't want to offend anyone here, but you know we used to call it old man strength, and we used to say how and this is when I was a schoolboy playing playing club club water polo, and and it was amazing how no matter how fit and how hard we worked at school, the the older players, and to be honest, that was people now my age probably that I was talking about at the time, would always place the ball so well, and they would always um, have such good foresight into what was about to happen they'd predict the game anticipate things really well and they never had to be that fit well comparatively to to kind of the schoolboy uh level where where conditioning is well it's probably just punishment and then you know being fit for the sport is what our coaches get out of it there's there's this understanding you know as, as you play a game you develop these skills and the skills are actually what make the game so fantastic you know uh no one's going to be that interested in watching someone, you know, smash a cut at 150 kilometers an hour and no one be able to return it. You know, it's, that's, that's not fun. 
Um, but competitively, yeah, that might give you a massive advantage. Um, I'm obviously thumb sucking the 150 kilometers an hour thing. <laughs> <laughs> Although we will ask Sabin, we will see, uh, we'll see what you can manage, uh, Emily. But in terms of, you know, the competitive side of the sport, we, we talk about, you know, fitness helps, etc. cetera. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit more about the social side? Yeah, I mean, sort of building on a part of that is that it is because of the sport not needing such speed or power, as you say, you can play such diverse games. And that sort of helps also with the social side is, you know, you can have men and women playing on the same court, you know, that's found quite commonly, you know, we have players of all ages ranging from seven to, you know, 82. And you can still have good games with a lot of these, these players. And so it makes the sport really social, both on court and off court. And you know, it's what's really nice about the game is that often, as well as, it, you know, when you're not playing so competitively, you're playing friendly practices, or you've come and joined clubs, then people do tailor their game for who they're playing against, in order to try and make it the sort of very social, um, nice game that everyone enjoys, even if they're, you know, the top players in the country, they will, you know, welcome newbies in and you know not hit the ball really hard at them help to give them skills and things and that's what's really nice I remember I once bought a really good friend of mine from university who had never ever played fives before <laughs> with mixed championship <laughs> and, and this this other player into the game and I remember them coming off the court with one of the top seeded pairs just you know jumping around having had so much fun um, because, you know, they'd, you know, the, the top players had made it so that there were rallies, you know, the top players knew they were always going to win, but they, you know, they made it so that there were rallies, they helped to explain, give hints and tips, and they just had so much fun. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a really cru crucial thing about this sport is that it is really social because we do get a whole diverse range of players and, um Everyone's, you know, with the no referee, for example, as well, sometimes it does help to make that social aspect on court really fun. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact that there's discussion about about rules and about, I mean, I, I've even seen players giving opposition advice on, you know, how to better handle the style that they are currently using to try and beat that person. You know, it's, it's very, um, yeah, it, it's very much a community from, you know, on court with new people all the way, you know, out to, to those that have been playing all the way up until the, the mid 80s. Um, you know, it's it's amazing how many father, son and mother, daughter and etc. kind of pairs there are um, or have or have been, you know, there's there's generations that, that are playing together, which is a lot of parents dreams and a lot of children's dreams, um, because their parents have told them that it, it is. And it's, it's a very inclusive sport in that way. So obviously at school, a lot of, um, a lot of school kids play. Uh, so first question is, where is it played when you're at school? How do you get into it when you're at school? And then building on that, um, coming into it after 18, after you've left school, what are your options? Where are the courts? Because it's, it's not a big sport. No, yeah, so there's 45 sets of courts actually around the country, and a lot of them are based in, in schools. But the Eton Fives Association is doing a huge amount of work to try and get courts in, you know, a, lots of different sports centres, into lots of different um, schools in lots of different areas, uh, because 
one thing that we are really working on is growing the sport, diversifying the sport. And obviously we do have a name, which is Eton Fives, and a lot of people will sort of relate that to Eton College. And that does, you know, build in connotations of what kind of sport this is and who it's for. But actually it is a very accessible sport once you have courts. So for example, there are courts in Westway in West London under the flyover. And, you know, that's open and in all the local schools or a lot of the local schools come along and have sessions there. And, you know, we're really trying to promote it as a sport for anyone of, of any background, any age. Um, so if you're interested in giving it a go, I would have a look at the website, which is www.eatonfives.com to find out where your potential lo most local courts are um, and see who you can contact to kind of get involved. So, you know, there's multiple ways of, of getting into, into the game and there are multiple tournaments of varying levels so that you can play, you know, just friendly fives or you can, you know, start to try and take on, um, you know, some of the best players in the country if, if that's what you so wish. There's, you know, something for everyone. Yeah, I, I, have, I have to say, like, you know, I, I got kind of trial by fire having uh, Don Reynolds take me for, you know, for 20 minutes maybe of... Of coaching being you know getting to see what um you know an experienced player is capable of and and how how much finesse is involved in the game um so i then went to a session at repton where i was coached coached by someone and well gareth um hoskins being you know helping me warm up and showing me just to rally the ball against the wall and starting me off slowly rather than getting me returning cuts immediately just showed me how that beginner level, there's so much enjoyment to be had just starting out. I think fundamentally hitting a ball against the wall and getting a rally going and the origins of it being a playground or a game, a playground game or a game where that was invented, you know, out of boredom against, against the wall outside of chapel, uh, you know, a lot of people can probably relate to standing in queues, um, you know, us being in England. <laughs> sorry quick quick shot in there um, yeah no I think you know what I've found so often is that people have this idea you know they hear that I play a sport called Eton Fives and they're like oh is that just for you know people from independent schools etc and then I've brought them to come and play and they've just instantly fallen in love with the game and one thing you know don't judge a book by its cover rugby a sport that is now you know globally played started at rugby school which is another school that's of a sort of similar tier as Eton and look at it now and you know the sort of more official rules of, of football I think were also created at Eton so don't judge the name too much and you know there's lots of work being done to help to diversify the kinds of players coming in um, because it is really accessible once you're playing it's really great after a really hard day of work and you just want to hit something. <laughs> you just can go and like hit the ball really hard. But I also remember sort of the first time that I played, I started playing really late when I was just nearly about to leave school, actually, just before, you know, I was about to leave for university. And I saw some friends playing and I went to go and play and I just had so much fun. My hand was hurting so much, but I just played, I think, for nearly two hours because I didn't want to stop because I had so much fun instantly on court. And I think that 
fun was always been in the game that I play now is that I enjoy it so much and you know I wouldn't trade it for anything that's a bit cheesy but <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I can see that you know kind of emanates through art and the benefits of it being a a, a smaller sport um you know in terms of the scale of com- compared to others and the fact that it's got you know it's it's amateur there's no you know, this isn't about the prize money. You don't have people overly being overly competitive because it's their job. You know, maybe people are overly competitive because that's just who they are. But you're going to get that in every facet of life. But the fact that it's perpetuated and maintained by people that, that love the sport, you just know that coming from the outside in, you're going to be coming into such a welcoming community. You know, personally, I've, I've experienced that. I've, I've hardly played and I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm one of a, you know, fantastic group, um, you know, coming from a very different sports and having absolutely no hand-eye coordination of the ball bigger than a, than a rugby, well, smaller, anything smaller than a rugby ball. And I, you know, I'm, I'm new. So it's been, it's been amazing to just see, see what that community is really like and how welcoming it can be and how, how keen they are to just have, have new players come in and, and to teach and to teach through playing. I mean, how many times do you do you get stuck doing drills on your first day of, of playing a sport and it takes a long time before you you get to play meanwhile even fives you know you throw, throw a ball in you get a rally going and you're you know there's your learning it's it's started and it, it is just it's so reminiscent of being on the playground and being with your friends and it's yeah it's it's really fantastic and yeah okay so i'm advocating for a sport i've hardly played here so it's got to be good (laughs) yeah i mean the only time it gets really competitive is when there's you know chocolate a surprise that's you know then all sportsmanship's out the window (laughs) i'm joking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean to to be fair i i think you know that that kind of incentive is gonna gonna get people throwing their toys out the cart yeah (laughs) (laughs) So obviously we've spoken about the origins of the sport. You've gone through how it's played, what what your favorite shots are, kind of explain the game, the skills. But Eaton Fives isn't the only um, fives out there. So what else? What else is out there in terms of fives? I mean, there's loads of variations of sort of handball sports. Our sort of closest cousins, let's say, in the fives world, is called rugby fives and Winchester fives. So they are slightly different because they work on a four-walled court, uh, a little even more similar to squash in that sense. And their courts don't have all of the same kind of hazards that Eaton Fives does. So it's a little bit more, you know, straight walls. And we'll be doing an episode with some Rugby Fives players very soon to discuss the sort of similarities, differences, which ones are better for what kind of skills, um, and, you know, a bit of healthy competition between the two different codes, let's say. But it is such a unique sport from, you know, mainstream, what we're all used to, um, you know, seeing on TV, etc. Although, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and, you know, you can see some great games. <laughs> Good little plug. There are some amazing ones up there and you really start to see what you were saying about those rallies that you just think, how have they got that shot up? I mean, one of my favourite videos of all time is this rally from one of the top open tournaments. And there's two pairs that are playing against each other and they have the most insane rally. 
I, and I was luckily filming this whole thing, one minute and a half, and then accidentally someone hits the shot around the walls and it hits one of the players in the back and all of the players are exhausted from this hour, hour and a half, I mean, <laughs> half game on top of however long they've been playing already that where they've been running around everywhere, there's been some amazing gets and all of them just sink to the floor like, oh, half because they're exhausted, but half because it's just a sad way to end that rally. Like, because everyone was so upset that that's how it ended. The person who the ball hit just had his head in his hands. Like, oh no, because you want those rallies to finish with like a great shot or something which is undeniably ungettable and it's just perfect after a rally like that. Yeah, a t- testament to the sport being being so exciting is that players want the rally to continue. You know, it's it's that temptation to, do we try to continue this rally or are we going to go in and try and end it? You know, you, if you're tired, you still you still want to get the ball. You want to keep it up. You don't, you, you know, you don't put your body in the way on purpose. Yeah, so it can, you know, definitely check out the YouTube channel uh, and, you know, check out www.eatonfives.com for more information about the game, how you can get involved um, and just to speak to other people in the, the sport. We're always welcoming to anyone who's new or would like to try the sport. And even if you're unable to get to a sport right now and you're in lockdown or for whatever reason you can't get to a sport, you can even start practicing some of those skills straight away. You know, just hit a little ball, get permission first from whoever's wall it is, uh, whether it's at home or outside, you know, hit a tennis ball with your hands up against it kind of softly, just starting to build your hand-eye coordination is a way of getting started into the game without actually, you know, needing to leave your house. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode to explain what is Eaton Fives, which has been quite difficult on a podcast, I've got to say. Uh, it's quite difficult without images. <laughs> so <laughs> done it justice that you'll at least have a Google or go on the website. But it's ciao for now. Yeah, and cheers from me. Bye. Bye.